can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Welcome to Hi-Ya, the only podcast that says, hit me with that tie stick again, master. I've been a bad little kickboxer. (laughs) Episode 24, recorded November 18th, starts now. Hi-Ya. Yeah, that's a shout out to all our peeps in Colorado. There you go. Yep. Hey, happy Movember, too. You growing out your mustaches, everybody? Yeah, yeah, I got mine rocking. I'm, Very cool. I'm cooking the biker stash up right now. <clears throat> yeah, or it's cooking you up one. I can't tell. <laughs> well, I'm dead sexy, and we all know it, but uh, this is not about me. <laughs> make it about you, Dave. Yeah, we're glad to be back. Uh, we've got coming up in the show an interview with John Rankin, a uh, military uh, combative uh, trainer and uh, and fighter who's done a lot of stuff that uh, we're going to talk to him about. And uh, yeah, and uh, we've got some news coming up at the end of the show. Do we? Well, I thought we did. No, I thought we just had the medium mop up. Oh, it's just a little medium mop up. Okay, well, we've got a medium mop up coming up for you (laughs) at the end of the show, too. So stick around for that. But uh, let's go ahead and move this project forward. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Should we salute, folks? Well, of course. It's, It's the only respectful thing to do. All right. All right, off to the champagne lounge for a salute in a flute. Back with John Rankin. Uh, say hi to everybody, John. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm Dave, and this is Craig, by the way. So uh, when you hear our voices, uh, well, actually, you can see us, so <laughs> you'll know what's going on. <laughs> Tough luck for you on that, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's go ahead and jump right in here and get our feet wet so everybody uh, knows uh, who we're talking to and what you're all about. Um Let's go back to your origins. Uh, what got you started in martial arts, and uh, you know how did you uh, get on the path that you're on today with it? Um, actually, I started martial arts when I was 15. Uh, when I was living in Texas, all the fights were pretty much stand-up fights, and nobody ever went to the ground when I was a kid, and we did boxing. And uh, Then I moved to Illinois, and the first kid I fought in Illinois was a wrestler, and he took me down. and So I started training in uh, grappling and uh, uh uh, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing stuff yeah it can and be then, a real eye-opener the first time somebody dumps you on your back <laughs> oh yeah yeah helped me there for quite a while and just beat the tar out of me so <laughs> i figured it was time to learn how to fight uh, yeah. that was a long time ago so yeah and uh so moving on from there what came next um i joined the army in uh, 1993 and that's when the first UFC came out. My squad leader in the army invited me over to his house one night to uh, watch the UFC. I watched it. I could have swore that the kickboxers were going to clean house and, uh, you know, saw uh, Hoist Gracie uh, end up winning. And uh, that's what actually got me started moving in the direction of MMA. I enrolled in a uh, judo club because there was no jujitsu around. Right. Uh, it was pretty much a grappling judo club anyway. Um, started playing judo every night and uh, kickboxing, uh, and then I had my first fight in '97. Oh, cool! Awesome. And uh, so, uh, what what leagues were you fighting in, and uh, how long? You know, how was your career? Or are you still actively fighting? Actually, you're you're about 39, aren't you? Somewhere in that range. I retired a few years ago. Okay, yeah. So uh, most of my early fights were in Extreme Fighting Challenge with Monty Cox and then uh, wow. Jeff Osborne with the hook and shoot. Um, probably my 
probably close to my first 20 fights were in those two uh, shows. And then I won the uh, <clears throat> the IFC lightweight uh, championship uh, where Matt Lindland made his debut. Travis Fulton fought, Dan Severn fought, uh, a couple other guys, and uh, and I won that tournament. Nice. Oh, congrats. And what is that, the IFC? That's actually, I'm not familiar with that. What does um, that stand for? <laughs> uh, it was International Fighting uh fighting combat or something, you know, something. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, actually, uh, the promoter from that show is now doing rogue warrior, I think is the name of the show, hmm. uh, where they do all like military veterans and, uh, they've got some shows running out in Vegas and, uh, connected with, uh, Marcinko, the guy who wrote, uh, rogue warrior. Okay. Interesting. Um, well, this kind of brings us around to I, I, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is the uh, the military combatives. Uh, sorry, I do that every time. Military combatives that <laughs> that you were involved in. Uh, tell, tell us about uh, how how that got started. Uh, and I, it looks like you guys have sort of retooled the whole uh, program over the last couple of decades with that, and uh, you know, some cool stuff going on there. Yeah, so in 1996, then Colonel uh, McChrystal commissioned then E6 or uh, Staff Sergeant Matt Larson to investigate the current program. Uh, when they did that, they determined that that program really wasn't any good. And then he sent him out to find a new system to uh, put in place for upcoming conflicts. Um, Matt Larson then uh, went and started training with the Gracies. He... Uh, uh, determined that grappling was probably among the most effective arts, um, but really uh, was missing some components for the Army. Uh, we took a look at Sambo, um, and actually he had, he had talked to Sambo Steve a few times during this process, <laughs> but Sambo really wasn't going to be applicable for the Army either because there's just not very many Sambo instructors to where we could feed that into 1.5 million soldiers. Right. <laughs> So what we did was um, Coach Robinson from the University of Minnesota wrestling coach was a Vietnam Airborne Ranger. Uh, we brought him in, included a little bit of wrestling, got some ideas from him, some ideas from Sambo, and some ideas from Jiu-Jitsu. And then in 2000, they formulated the new program, became Doctrine in 2001. And basically at that point, the level one was all Jiu-Jitsu. The level two had just a little bit of extra stuff, with, but was mostly blue belt level jujitsu stuff. And then the level three was all kickboxing, stick fighting and knife fighting. Uh, a well, couple of, so the striking didn't really come into it until the level three. That's, that's right. Interesting. Uh, and the reason for this is, and I, I think most of us would probably agree about this now, uh, years in the future, but that, uh, striking takes such a longer time to develop in your skill sets and still is a fair weathered friend. Um, you could be the better boxer, the better kickboxer, the better Muay Thai guy every day of the week and just get caught by something you didn't see and the fight's over. True. Um, and, and with all the angles, the head movements, uh, the variety of striking combinations and such, it's just a little bit more difficult to learn. So we went with a primarily grappling system up front. And then as the soldier got comfortable with training, we moved him into the striking. Um, and then... As, as we've been in war for the last 12 years, we've determined that there were some things that needed to change in the program. And right around 2006, 2007, we implemented a tactical version of what's going on and uh, started doing a lot of kit fighting, a weapons fighting with the uh, M4, which is different than the M16. Um, Re-included some more knife stuff and uh, uh, really are now working in a, in a much more applicable battle type of scenario for fighting wow that sounds pretty thorough mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty thorough i should hope so what, what was going on before just out of curiosity that they uh found so inadequate it wasn't that they found anything uh inadequate we have over three thousand cases throughout the army that are just reported um we're estimating that there's probably somewhere really in the reality of 25 to thirty thousand hand-to-hand combat fights um, that have ranged in the last 12 years. Um, and so it, it wasn't that there was anything inadequate. It's that we added to what we were already doing to deal with things like wearing a Kevlar, uh, that shrimping doesn't work all that well, <laughs> body armor, right. Uh, you know, 
but we still include shrimping because it's one of the most vital skills of grappling. And so though it doesn't work with body armor on, you still need to learn it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, inadequate probably wouldn't be the word. It's just that we were, we were trying to push for more. Yeah, good. Not filling in any gaps. It's just adding to it and making it better. Yeah, we, basically we were just evolving. Um, <clears throat> and what we don't want to do is become rigid in our thinking concerning fighting um, because the way that this war is working might not be the way the next one works. True. Or what if we have to go back to the jungles? What if we're in Latin America? What if we're back in uh, you know, the Philippines? So we don't know what combat will hold for us over the next 50 or 100 years. And if we become rigid that this is the only way we fight, I think we lose the battle in the long run. True. Yeah. That's a dilemma a lot of us traditionalists have faced over the years. Definitely. <laughs> and MMA brought it right up to the front, too. You know, the, the UFC and all of that stuff. Yeah, so we use MMA as our primary model because it's as close as we can get to reality without getting soldiers hurt. However, MMA has it doesn't hold a stick to what our guys have to do. There's no multiple opponents. There's no knives. There's no uh, guns. There's no... Um, you know, flashbangs, which is a which is a, a grenade we use when we throw in a room. Right. There's not a, there's a, you know there's no axes on your back or saws and difficult uh, terrain, all that. Yeah, yeah. that um, the average MMA fighter has well, no, not even the average. Even the most elite guy has no clue about. Right, right. That's a, it's a different world. Totally different world. Right. There's there's no touching of gloves before the combat begins. <laughs> um, yeah, there really is no touching of gloves. Right. <laughs> Now, uh, on that note, while we're on this subject, uh, we, we were talking with Sambo Steve a while ago, and he mentioned that uh, when you guys had your most recent tournament, you know, your the inter-army or inter-military tournament there, that for the first time, uh, sorry if I botched the terminology on this, okay. <laughs> but uh, for the first time, a woman actually won her weight class. So Yeah. Um, so in the Army, uh, we do not have gender-specific uh, competition rules, uh, meaning this that a female will fight a male in the Army Combatives Tournament. Right. Uh, now, in order to make it uh, somewhat equal, uh, we give them a 15% weight allowance. So in the 110-pound class, you know, that young lady can weigh, like, I think it's, uh, it's up to, like, 126 or something like that. Um, so uh, two years ago, Fort Campbell had a female in the 110 weight class that fought all the way through the – uh, rounds because we have rounds we do different things uh, your first round is standard grappling your second round is pancreas bouts if you guys remember back in the day when pancreas was yeah. popular and then our third bout or our third round is uh, an, what we call advanced rules or MMA rules um, she made it all the way through the tournament and she is the first female in the history of the combatives program to beat a male in the advanced rules bout that's awesome yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, I almost wish I mean for for the sporting stuff, I think they're always going to keep the male and the females separate to some extent, but um since there's so little venue for female fighters right now, I think it's getting better out there, but these, you know, these women that are training at MMA gyms and stuff like that that want to test, often they're they don't have anywhere to go but the other girls in their school or whatever, you know. So Right. Well, if you guys remember back, you know, there was quite a few uh kickboxing Kathy Long fought a couple of guys. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I, I'm I'm blanking her name right now, but the the girl from Holland fought a couple of guys. You know, it's not. I don't think it would fly in our culture today, but it's not unheard of. Right. True. Um. So well, that's really interesting. And and your school down up there in uh, Clarksville. You're in Clarksville, Tennessee. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. It's right outside the military post, Clarksville, Tennessee. Okay. Cool. I used to live up there in Nash Vegas when I was a younger man. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so shout out. But uh, you guys are the only school right now uh, certified to, to teach this program to people out, off base, outside the military, right? Yeah. Um, so we are the only, the only certifying authority in, in town that can run ma- military combatives. And I was also the first civilian to be brought into the program. So, Okay. Oh, very cool. Excellent. Um, you've done a lot of other stuff too. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the time you spent some time in Sambo, right? You got a black belt in that, uh, uh, right? 
Yeah, uh, so Sambo, Steve, and I have been having quite a conversation about that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I and I get his perspective. And, and I, I I've been talking with him and Lance Campbell. Um, I played judo for a number of years, and then uh, when I started in MMA, I became really good at leg locks. And um, I love actually the Russian gripping style is far more applicable to what we do in the army and some of the rules are far more applicable to what we do in the army and so um i've got a pretty good leg scissor uh throw connie basani um and some of the others the other throws that i find particularly useful for me uh tend to be of the sambo version and so through a variety of training i, I did that and lance uh awarded me the black belt and since then i've come to know steve and so we've we've been talking about that back and forth and uh, <laughs> does he razz you about your black belt <laughs> uh, he doesn't razz me he's just been really uh you know uh uh just kind of explaining where he comes from and you know and i and i knew that up front you know i, kn- I know the history of sambo it's uh, actually taught in the army program the entire history of Sambo. So I knew that there was no official rank structure and that that was an experiment over a period of time. And, you know, I kind of look at it like Muay Thai. Muay Thai has no ranking structure either. And you have, you have, uh, you know, for example, Anderson Silva started an organization called Killer Bees and and they get black belts in Muay Thai. Well, there's no real such thing as a black belt in Muay Thai. And uh, they do that basically for the public to, for you to understand skill level and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I've always looked at those type of things. And uh, I'm not sure how I, I, I'm going to proceed forward. I have to kind of have a conversation with Lance and I really like Steve, really love what he's doing and uh, want to play more with them and to help them with Sambo. And cause I love it and uh, had a great time and went down and did the Sambo tournament this year in uh, Texas and, you know, and I'm a team player. So, you know, ranks don't really matter to me. Um, in that, you know, it's not going to break my heart if Lance and I discuss it and he said, nah, let's do away with it. Or if, nah, right. I mean, I don't, I don't really care. So, right. You, you've got other belts to keep your pants up, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All they do, man. I've, I've got multiple black belts. I've got multiple MMA championships, a belt's a belt. So yeah. there you go. One of those big championship belts, uh, that's blingy. You can pull the ladies with those. I hear. <laughs> it has never seemed to work for me and anybody i've ever seen trying to support the belt hasn't worked well for them either yeah <laughs> it's like ringing a dinner bell yeah it, it's, you know we actually always make fun of those guys who aren't fighting and walk around with their belts you know it's yeah. like you yeah. know? <laughs> so uh you also uh uh, Muay Thai, you trained in that a lot. Uh, who did you do that with? And, uh, what, you know, what's your background yeah. in that? Um, so I started with Greg Nelson up in Minneapolis, Minnesota with Muay Thai and I continued training with him all the way through college while I was in Minneapolis, uh, moved to Fort Campbell and started my own gym and continued to train Muay Thai there. Uh, went to Thailand, spent time in Thailand at Fairtech, uh, Ooh. trained there, uh, went out, spent some time, a couple of training sessions out at Master Toddy's. Trained with Saka Sam, trained with Kumpan uh, out of wow. Atlanta. You know, so, um, uh, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time and was awarded my crew in Muay Thai from the United States Muay Thai Association. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm now, for our listeners that don't know, that's that's a teaching certificate. Uh, teaching yeah. certificate. If you were to, equi- you know, make an equivalent, it's like a black belt. Uh, right. But as we discussed earlier, there is no such thing in Muay Thai. Right. <laughs> Just like yeah, and, them saying you're good enough, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm good enough to teach. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not the level of some of these guys that Muay Thai is all they ever do for the, you know, their life. And uh, you, you can tell a big difference when you train with somebody like Suck Sam or Kumban or, you know, Bucknow or any of those guys, man. They're, man, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and it's just the same in the jiu-jitsu world, you know, when you train with somebody like, uh, you know, Helio Soneca, who's my instructor, or... Uh, Jacare down in Atlanta. The, when you when you see those guys and the level of expertise and the way they teach, because this is what they've done for the last thirty or forty years of their life, man, it's amazing. You know, so it's the same. Yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for some people from really? childhood. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then you know, um, I've spent the last fifteen years of my life training in jujitsu, and was recently in two thousand ten awarded my black belt in jujitsu. Um, I've been training judo since 1993, and I'm a second-degree black belt in judo. Um, you know, so I, I'm pretty well-rounded and uh, USA boxing coach and, you know, et cetera. So I've got – I've spent my time really training in a lot of different uh, arts and trying to accumulate as much information and knowledge and practical ability as I can, both 
when I was being a competitive MMA guy, as well as now as a, uh, a master trainer for the Army. And are you, uh, are you coaching fighters as well? Yeah, well, most of my time is actually spent training soldiers who then I end up coaching if they fight or if we right. fight Army tournament. Um, it's actually been quite a bit of a headache for me because uh, the Army has some, uh, some kind of rules that I have to play ball with. Sometimes it kind of uh, it hurts me when I'm trying to work with civilian promoters and our blood work doesn't always match up exactly the way they need it to do. For example, all my fighters are hepatitis immune. Well, the state doesn't want to accept that they're hepatitis immune. They want them to have a test. And so, <laughs> all right. I mean, it's the federal government, man. Those guys got vaccinations for everything you can think of. You know? yeah. <laughs> and um, they, they try them all out on the military, too. <laughs> I don't know. They really do. Uh, that, that woman in uh, Holland was Lucia Riker. Ah, ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I just filled me in. But, uh, you know, uh, so I end up coaching those guys. I take a team of 16 fighters to the All-Army Championships, and then I have to coach them in the standard rules, which is basically uh, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then the Pancras rounds and then the MMA rounds. And so, um, and I do that. Uh, I do the All-Army as well as Fort Campbell's tournament and then, uh, you know, other tournaments as well. So, it, you know, I'm not coaching any pros because all my guys are soldiers and I've got for example, six of my guys leaving for Afghanistan shortly. So, I mean, it, it makes it difficult. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, it's unfortunate. I, I'm hoping they're going to get this over with soon, but, uh, it's not a political podcast, so we'll just move along. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, uh, so how many of these events do they have a year? Uh, does each base kind of have their own tournament and then they have a big all in tournament? Yeah, work? Each base has their own tournament or multiple tournaments. They select their team based on how they perform at the post level. And then those representatives, 16, um, which is one, uh, two guys per weight class and there's eight weight classes. And then they go to the army tournament and represent their post at the army tournament. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and how long has this been going on? Is this a venerable tradition or is this something fairly yeah. recent? No, we've, we've been uh, running tournaments since 2005. Okay. So, cool. you know, in terms of the army, it's fairly recent anyway. Yeah. It's, it's still, you know, look, the combatives program at large is only 12 years old. Right. So as far as the army is concerned, we are a baby. I mean, that's, and that's, you know, nothing negative. It's just that, you know, when you have certain schools like Ranger school started in like, I think 1963, mm -hmm. Right. Um, airborne school started in the 40s mm -hmm. uh you know when you look at those kind of things we are we're the young kid <laughs> on the block but uh, one thing i gotta say that sounds interesting uh <clears throat> when dave asked about the structure of the tournaments and kind of quote-unquote leveling up in order to you know fight and how you move through the quote-unquote circuit um it sounds much more logical and sensible than a lot of the uh civilian tournament systems and how people move up because a lot yeah, of that stuff makes no sense you know in the yeah. civilian world the reason why we did it this way is a couple of reasons um number one we're not training guys to do mma though we use mma as our vehicle we have to understand that certain things that work in mma will never work in soldiering right um you know for an example uh guys who aren't very good at takedowns flop guard um <laughs> so you're wearing an extra hundred pounds of battle gear all and right. you flop to your back with your enemy, you're probably going to die if everybody <laughs> doesn't save your rear end, right? Right. The other thing is, is that because the average soldier in the Army has thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars invested in him by the government, we don't want people getting needlessly hurt. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we came up with the progression was twofold. Number one is, is that we wanted to eliminate guys who weren't very well trained. So that by the time we get to the MMA, we've severely decreased the the the, um, uh, the probability of somebody getting really seriously hurt. The second reason is that we don't want guys just training for one thing. Um, we want guys who are skilled in all the various skill sets. Uh, because like most Americans, um, if, I, if you tell me these are the rules and this is the game, I'll train just to be good at those rules. Right. It doesn't work for us because there are no rules. Mm -hmm. uh, and though we use MMA because it's the closest we can get, for example, there's no eye gouging in MMA. Right. <laughs> but uh, I've got quite a few stories of where our guys have had to put fingers through a guy's eyeball. We have one where uh, a guy came out of bush with an axe and he slipped 
back and then grabbed the axe and embedded it in the guy's head. You know, that's not going to be found in MMA. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if we if we limit our guys to training in one one aspect of what we do, we've really done them a disservice, and they won't be able to make the fundamental leaps that we need to make them to uh, make when it's real. Real life combat situation, right? In the in the scenario, and I guess and I guess going for something like with the stick and knife stuff, going for something kind of dog brother style or something like that would be too high risk of injury for the. No, so, no, no, oh, no. Mark Denny actually helped us formulate the game plan. Uh, Mark Denny uh, helped us develop the level three POI where we fight with stick fights. Um, Mark Denny has been an instrumental part of what we do, and we love him. He's a great friend of ours. Okay, cool. cool. Um, yeah. Um, for whatever reason, you know, we've not had any injuries really stick fighting, you know, um, uh, we keep it, you know, now part of it is, is that our guys are, are at the beginning levels of stick fighting, you know, so they're not like the guys at the gatherings, right. um, but, uh, we, we want to see more of that and we, we like it because you can always find a stick in combat. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Stick relays into the knife very well. And, uh, you know, shout out to Mark Denny, man. He's really helped us a lot. We love him. Awesome. Great. No, very oh, cool. I, I know. I, I thought you were tech. <laughs> no, no. I I know very little about the Dog Brothers except from just seeing them online and whatnot. But uh, you know, I really like what they have going up. It's you know, it's yeah, as real as you can get. Facebook. Yeah, definitely. Up on Facebook and interview him. He is awesome. You know what? I'm making a note right now. I we think we should. That. Mark Denny. Mark Denny actually has a letter from the UFC. This is a funny story. So, like, I, I can't remember what UFC it was. It was in the beginning. Tried to get them to let them do an exposition, uh, an uh, uh, exhibition fight in the UFC. And they, told <laughs> they were too extreme. We can't have you guys in here. <laughs> you should ask him about it. It's a great story. And he's a great storyteller. He's really intelligent, really articulate, uh, and really fundamentally understands what it means to be a warrior. I love that guy, man. Sweet. You know, it sounds like a very interesting cat. I've always wanted to find out more about that stuff, too, because I'm kind of in the dark like Craig. I've seen it on, you know, seen a couple of uh, their gatherings on YouTube or whatever. And, uh, you know, I got to give them credit. They get in there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. He's, I mean, man, I just can't say enough good things about Mark. And that, that's one of the things that I'm really curious about, both uh, what we're talking about now, the combatives, as well as uh, Denny's group, um, because it's what we face as traditionalists, one of the most difficult things to do is to bridge the gap between uh, kind of sparring and doing applications to uh, intense, uh, how, to, how to jack the adrenaline or, or say, forget that this is just your friend and, you know, you're doing an application, but get in the mindset of reality. And yeah. for a traditionalist teacher, that is so, so hard without crossing any lines, you know? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things there. One of the, I'll, I don't know what kind of uh, medium you have when you talk about your audience. So I'll, I'll tailor this a little bit to be palatable for everyone. Cool. But in the <laughs> army, we have a saying, uh, and I love it. You know what the greatest thing about the army is making blank blanks, do whatever the hell we tell them to do. You know, right. <laughs> there's no options, you know, you're going right. to do what I tell you to do because you're in the army and that's, you know, part of our thing. But, you know, when you talk about it in the civilian context, there's some ways that you can introduce uh, complexity and novelty and chaos into your training that will help them bridge that gap um, that doesn't necessarily have to be dangerous. Right. right. You know, uh, Greg Thompson, who's a friend of mine at Fort Bragg, he's got a great product out there. It's called He calls them the SOC P Cubes, Special Operations Combatives Program, Combat Cubes. And you can throw those in the room, and they're just little styrofoam, industrial styrofoam boxes that don't break. Right. And while guys are sparring, throw that stuff out on the floor and let them trip over it. Nice. Uh, you know, uh, so by introducing novelty and chaos and, and complexity, it, it causes our brains to start to bridge some gaps that if you talk about a str strictly MMA approach or a strictly traditional approach, that they really won't be ready for combat. Mm -hmm. So, they, you know, um, I, I don't know what kind of school you guys have, but so you talk about the average woman who is, you know, 28 years old. She's got two kids. Um, she's walking to her car from the mall, and she's been training with you for s six months, nine months, whatever the story is. 
She could do all that training in the world, but if she's never had to experience adrenaline, if she's never had to experience chaos, if she's never had to experience an attack for real, she will be unprepared regardless of the amount of training. Definitely. Yeah. You know, so uh, you got to think creatively. Um, um, uh, is it Mark or Matt? Matt or Mark Hatmaker um, has actually a great book uh, where he talks about this idea of introducing complexity and introducing novelty and chaos into the mix of your training. Um, oh, just on, you know, the self-defense stuff in there is just like what we all do, right. but the, the concepts behind his books and the profiles he uses really make it worth the buy. I like what yeah. you said about even just with those little, uh, blocks. And initially when you said that, I'm like, where are you going with that? But I get it. It's more of a mental thing of getting into that concept of change of my entire environment's changed. Do I just stop moving and go reassess? No, because yep. now you're dead or hit, yeah. you know? Well, let's take well, it a step further. What if you're an average housewife um, who married an abusive husband and on the sly you've started training and he throws you down and you trip over the back of the couch? Good point. Yeah, That, that sock B cube represents you tripping over that couch or that foot table. But now what are you going to do? Yeah. Does the fight stop because you tripped and there was something that was unexpected? I'll tell you a story from uh, Afghanistan. One of my men um, went into a house and they have foot couches there. Um, mm -hmm. Tripped over the foot couch because it was in the middle of the night, didn't see it through the nods, the night opticals, uh, and landed on top of the bad guy. Well, he <laughs> could have flipped out and stopped fighting because it didn't go according to plan, but he didn't. Reached down, bent arm bar, broke the guy's arm, subdued him, moved on. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. Nice. Well, you know, I mean, we we are progressively adding more and more like scenario drills and that sort of thing and uh, surprise elements in, into what we do. But coming up as traditionalists, there just wasn't a lot of that. Now, there were other drills to get used to being in with other people, but there just wasn't a lot of that. So we would go out, you know, and uh, and have a few drinks and just beat each other purple in the parking lot for sure. fun to sort of get that, you know, out of our systems as young men. One of the other tools we use to do this is we have shock knives. So uh, yeah. imagine you and your buddy are sitting there sparring, and I take a 20,000-volt taser and throw it on the floor. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, uh, our friend Bruce Ryder that we had on here, uh, he's a sound man for a big heavy metal band, uh, and one of, their guys, one of the guys in the band uh, trains MMA and a bunch of other stuff. So he had somebody come out and basically do uh, level one MACP, like, building clearing oh, wow. stuff with them and he brought yeah. out uh airsoft guns and shock knives and they got yeah, to set it all up backstage at the concert venue so <laughs> uh, let me i do I, I these stories are so priceless you can't help but to not tell them no right. tell tell yeah. away that's we what we're here them. for traditionalists come in and while i was running the level one program and you know i didn't get it and Kind of like grappling doesn't work in real world scenarios. And I'm like, well, grappling's not all we do. He's like, yeah, but you don't do anything for the knife. And I'm like, well, yeah, we do, but it's much later. And I said, and it, but it doesn't matter because most knife defenses are BS anyway. Mm. He's like, no, 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 they work. And I'm like, okay. I, so I pulled out a shock knife and I said, all right, you ready? And he goes, well, for what? I go, to show me your knife defense. If it really works. And let's put some electricity on the line. There let's you go. See. And I'll put some bolts into your rear end. And if it works, it works, man. I'll freaking add it to the program, you know, and uh, change the complexity, you know, <laughs> change the scenario. And that's what we use the airsoft and simunition rounds for. Hey, you say that gun disarming works? Cool. Let me load this simunition round, which fires from the gun at the same speed a real bullet does. You just put on a pair of glasses so you don't lose an eyeball. And let's see if this really works. Because right. if it doesn't, you're going to be bleeding and hurting and screaming and cussing going, why didn't that work? <laughs> yeah, Bruce said he took one of those to the leg and he had a huge purple welt for uh, for days afterwards. I have scars up and down my arms from him. Yeah, wow. but he said he didn't make that same mistake again, so I guess it works. There you <laughs> go. It does work. It does work. I never Not heard that term, simulation, but I like it. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah simulations, cool. are, it, it's a round. Right. Uh, it's a regular round, just like you would put in any gun. But on the tip, it's got a paint capsule uh -huh. that breaks upon contact. So it shoots out the barrel at the same speed of a bullet. But then when it hits, it blows up. It's right. just, and, uh, so you can no see if somebody's been it. hit. It's like hell. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> it ain't going to be pleasant, but it doesn't kill you. 
Yeah, it has to be hard enough to break that, you know, leaving the gun doesn't break it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and, and and here's one of the things we've learned in the Army. There is no substitute teacher for, for pain. pain. <laughs> yeah. There is none. Mm-hmm. Look, man, guess what? If you're in an MMA fight and you leave your hand down and you get knocked out, what do you go back to the drawing board and work on? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Keeping your hand up. Arm bar. What do you go back to do? Pain is a great teacher if you let it be a teacher. You know? Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that's why we used to have... Your- gun and knife that's why we used to have our little parking lot smokers you know you you do that sort of stuff because you need to know you, you can yeah. i can i take a punch you know can i can i get knocked to the ground and get back up or whatever and yep. you know sometimes you don't always get that stuff in the classroom no you don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um i uh, i wanted to ask you about this too i noticed you're crossfit certified yeah um, I, I've been wanting to talk to somebody who's, uh, you know, certified CrossFit trainer for a long time because I, I see there's a lot of CrossFit out there now. Right. And I see some school, schools and I'm like, oh, that's really cool what they're doing in there. You know, I'll watch them work out for a little while or something I'm like that's good stuff. But then I'll see other schools sometimes where it's like I would never ask a person to do what they're asking people to do like Walker. I saw this the other day eating brunch after uh, a class. Uh, there was a CrossFit school nearby and I'm not going to name names or anything, Sure. but they had about a dozen people. And this, this is in an area with a really tight parking lot and lots of cars coming and going, carrying 50 pound plates on their backs Yep. and kind of balancing them on the top of their spine there and slouching right. around and cars coming and going and almost hitting them. And, I'm just like, I don't know, man. That doesn't look very safe to me. Is that how much control does the individual have over the programmer? Is that kind of thing? Is that very standard they to do? do? Uh, they have, number one, they have what's called scaling. Um, so if you couldn't carry that 50 pound plate safely, they would scale that weight down for you. Uh, two is, is that CrossFit is all about functional fitness. So who's the fittest person in the world? Is it Lance Armstrong because he can bike? 3,000 miles or whatever it well, is. Well, his cardio's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, his cardio's good, but his strength is probably not very good. Right. The world's strongest man. Those guys are super strong, but they're not very, you know, conditioned, right? Mm-hmm. And so CrossFit, what they try to do is blend a mix of gymnastics and powerlifting and cardio and triathlons and all that stuff to make the fittest individual they can make. And that includes, by the way, going back to introducing complexity and novelty into your training. And so they carrying that 50 pound plate on their back is introducing complexity and novelty to your training program and your body responds better. It's something that it hasn't done. It causes it to fire more. Um, and so your body's trying to figure out how to do this thing and do it with excellence and mobility and efficiency. And I mean, it's a great training program and they scale it because it might not be safe for, you know, the grandma who's decided to do it. And so they scale it down to right. appropriate weights and, Exactly. Maybe part of the problem with that one is is, is somebody was not scaling quite because some of these people were bent like question marks with these plates. It was just the posture was so bad. I'm like, that couldn't be good for you. You know, that's sure. what was going through my head. But yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I don't know about that particular school. Maybe there was uh, a, a challenge. Like, you know, who knows? Right. Um, but you, you know, typically speaking, most of the CrossFit instructors I know uh, scale and make sure that posture's proper and that uh the that the risk is minimal to the to the health of the individual yeah okay i just wanted to ask i'm not trying to knock it i've known some people that yeah, did yeah. it that were absolute monsters too i had a jujitsu teacher at ucsc that uh lived next door to us and he looked like a giant baby <laughs> <laughs> but he was terrifying you know he could <laughs> he could yeah. come over and pick your car up and you know let you change a tire if he didn't have anything else to do <laughs> sure kind of guy <laughs> Well, and if you notice, most of the MMA guys have gone to a CrossFit-based type of training routine. You know, George St. Pierre, if you go look at his training camp, it's not CrossFit per se, but they're using most of the principles of CrossFit. They're mixing up gymnastics and body weight training and weightlifting training and cardio training and sprinting and, you know, et cetera. Well, variety is definitely a good thing, so. Yeah, variety is key, man. Uh, It really is. Right on. So, um, you know, uh, moving forward, uh, what are your plans? What are you What are you going to be working on in the future? And uh, how do you How do you think your program is going to continue to develop out there? Well, um, actually, there's quite a bit going on for us in the future. Right now, across the army, we've lost almost 100 guys to what we call the inside the wire threat. Mm. Um, so, or or what would be known in the civilian populace as 
uh, uh, blue on green. Um, so we're training Afghans, we're training locals. And then at some particular point, they um, have either been paid off, they were never a good guy, whatever the story is. And then they turn on us in situations where we're either unprepared or unarmed. Um, and so right now I'm actually working with the army and trying to develop a program based on fighting to address the needs of this inside the wire threat. Um, because you have to be able to observe human behavior. You have to be able to be aware. You have to be able to, then if you are aware and see something happening before it happens, you know, you've got to be able to respond in a lot of scenarios. Um, we, we, we just don't have our guns with us because, uh, maybe we're in an elder meeting with, uh, with the tribe, um, which then having your gun would not be appropriate or maybe in a VIP speech setting and, uh, it's the secretary of defense speaking and we don't have a gun or we're at a graduation or on the, you know, one of the big ones that's happened is we're on the firing range, teaching them how to shoot They load their weapon. They fire off practice rounds. And then at some point they turn on you and they shoot you. Nice. Uh, so, um, I've got a program that I'm working on right now with them. Um, hopefully it gets approved, uh, kind of integrating the idea of watching human behavior, studying human behavior for violence, moving into once I've identified that this is going to become a violent threat, how do I respond in a situation where I don't have guns? Um, how do I respond in a situation where there's what we call uh, basically uh, making our improvised weapons? How do I respond in a situation where I don't have a weapon, but I can make one on the fly? Uh, and those type of things. Right. So a pen very easily could be a knife. Yeah, yeah. That that sounds that's really interesting. I think you know on the civilian side we could kind of use something like that too, especially if it could be distilled into a short course format. Because when you talk about movie theater shootings and all that kind of stuff, that you know that can't. Of course, it's very unlikely, but it does happen. And uh, you know school shootings and stuff. And I think a lot of the time they're worse than they have to be because nobody knows how to react. Yeah. You know, ABC actually, I mean, I, I think they're a bunch of liberals, but um, they did a uh, kind of survey or study and they showed what happens if you don't train and you try to react to a situation like that. And uh, it didn't go well for anybody in that classroom. However, if we would have changed that classroom out and put my guys in there, that would have gone very differently. And the Army, we have figured out how to get guys to close the gap and engage the enemy in hand-to-hand -hand combat and die if need be to take care of business. And it's unfortunate, but we used to have a generation of men that would have reacted to that Colorado shooting in a very different fashion than what was acted at at this this one that just happened. And that you know, there's there's got to be a change not only in our culture but in our training and in our thinking. Um, yeah, it's it's so pervasive though. Like I, there was an incident with a robbery and some shooting at a restaurant I worked out a while back, and I was out back taking the garbage out. And knew it was our customers that were involved in this, so I ran over there, and everybody was like, "What are you doing? Going toward the shooting? Way to go, dumbass!" And I'm like, "Well, you know what was I supposed to do? Creep back in here and get on the telephone while they got you know?" And I didn't have to get shot at or anything. They saw somebody coming and they ran away. They just needed yeah. the you know. See, your response was is that I'm not a vagina, and obviously you are. <laughs> I mean, in so many words, sure, yeah, exactly. I mean, but I mean, it, it's, it's just some—it's civic duty, you know. It's something yeah, of it's, yeah. We have lost the sense of what it means to be a man. Just because you have a penis hanging between your legs doesn't make you a man. You've got to act like a man. And when women and children and innocent people's lives are on the line, you need to be a man and step up and take care of business. True. And yeah. We, we don't train for that anymore. You know, they want to spend their time shooting people on video games you know, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. for guys that that's not an option. And they run towards gunfire, not away from gunfire. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, shoot. We, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, is there anything else you got coming down the pike? Uh, you writing any books or starring in any movies or anything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a pretty charismatic guy. Films. Uh, well, actually, there's a, um, there's a, uh, a documentary coming out here in – uh, maybe about six months or so, uh, called Fight Church, uh, featured in it. And then I am writing uh, two books right now. Um, one is uh, Anointed for War, and it's a it's a devotion for for warriors. Uh, and then the other one is uh, Where Feet, Fist, and Faith Collide. It's my life and just the crap I've been through and how I came to be where I'm at. And you know, back in the days, fighting without cups and nut shots were still <laughs> legal, and you know, yeah, stuff like that, and trips to I, you know, Venezuela where, you know, mm. it was absolutely crazy fighting down there and, you know, just stuff like that. So, um, and that's kind of what I got coming up in the future, just personally. 
Very awesome. cool. Yeah, well, we'll be looking forward to all that. And uh, I want to thank you again for taking time to come on here and talk with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And if you could, just send me a link, because uh, what I'll do is I'll post this on our Army site and let the soldiers see this and see if I can drive them towards you guys. Sweet. Awesome. Appreciate we that. will do that. And, uh, and uh, hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs> I have a home longing to roam I have to find you, I have to meet you Signs of your face, slowing your pace I need your guidance, I need to seek my Thanks again to John Rankin. That was a uh, it was a great interview, and uh, it's one of those situations where you know I uh, I look forward to talking to that guy again because honestly I didn't know enough of what I should ask him because True. it's sort of out of my ballywick. So that happens there. occasionally. <laughs> and like I told but, you outside, man, there's uh, I took home a few uh, a few golden eggs for myself out of that conversation. You know that bit with how to throw change and complexity and all that good stuff into a mix. That was good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. So thanks again to him for coming on the show. Um, I thought we were going to have news. You thought wrong, buddy. But I thought wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, instead, we're going to touch back on the media mop-up a little bit. I actually finally got around to watching some martial arts stuff again. And uh, so here's the new one I caught this week. Uh, We'll play the trailer for you now. It's called uh, The Girl from the Naked Eye. I wish it was the naked girl from the eye. Of course you do. (laughs) Has a nice film noir opening there. Exactly. I wouldn't let anyone hurt you. Last night you saw a girl. I don't know what you're talking about. I know because I was a driver. What happened to Sandy last night? End of the day. Sandy was a pro, and you should have known better. The girl. You didn't know her like I knew her. Do you think I have it, Jake? That quality which draws all others with its magnetic force. She's cute, and she's dead. Yeah, she is. And they show us, of course. That's not a naked. spoiler. That's the first scene in the movie. Oh, so. I kill her. <laughs> Jake's losing his fucking mind. Game over. Stole my book. Shot up the whole place. We'll get my book back, all right? We'll pay Jake some fucking money. He's a reasonable guy. Jake's a reasonable guy. There you go. Knee stomping kick, one of my favorites. I didn't kill her, man. I didn't kill her. Why would I kill her? Jesus Christ! Are you a detective or something? Do me a favor. Take your shoes for a walk. <laughs> That's Ron Juan, the pimp. Ron Juan, yeah. I want to find out who killed Sandy, too. Right, fine. Want to kill him? Kill him. Jason Yee. So, what you want? Payback. Who did you see? Suck in your stomach. You look like a fucking hippo. <laughs> Jake. Everybody got a little sauce there. Yeah. <laughs> Good time. Yeah.
Who killed the girl from the naked eye? Let's say your boyfriend was murdered. Is your boyfriend murdered? I don't have a... Forget it. I love how they leave off with that one. That's funny. <laughs> click, click, clackety-clack. Well, this looks exciting. Uh... Dave, you mentioned that this is on uh, Netflix streaming, our, uh, you know, proud sponsor. Not. Yeah, <laughs> one of these days. Right. <laughs> They'll owe us a back check. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's 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 how married men with uh, mortgages and children watch mm -hmm. movies, apparently. <laughs> that's, apparently so. That's how I do it. That's how I do it, brother. Um, yeah, you know, this one, I, I got to say, I really enjoyed it. It's It's... It's a you know it's a little bit B movie around the edges, mm -hmm. but the production quality everything's good. It's it's a little bit better movie than it is a martial arts movie, right? So you know it's there, a good time. Yeah, there's a there's a fun mystery to follow and unravel, and you know it's not too hackneyed the way it plays yeah. out. And uh, you know um, the acting overall is pretty good. Uh, Ron Juan is uh, is a decent actor. Um, Jason Yee is not bad. He uh, he kind of reminds me of somebody. Oh, I thought of this the other day. <laughs> now I can't think of who it reminds me of. But uh, <laughs> Charlie Brown? Maybe? No, not Charlie Brown. Linus. 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 The other one. There yeah, the go. one with the the blanket. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's there's definitely like if you look at the box art on this one, like mm -hmm. Craig, I think you've seen this before on Netflix streaming and skipped yep. it. You know because of the way it looks, uh, it does shoot for that film noir feel. But don't take the box art too seriously because. Like the woman standing directly behind uh, Jason Yee on the box mm -hmm. is uh, only in the movie for about two minutes. And uh, it's Sasha Gray, the the porn starlet that yeah. is trying to go leg legitimate film now. <laughs> and based on the acting I saw her doing this one, not holding my breath for that yeah. to happen. But uh, you know, it's it's got all the trappings of an action movie though. It's got the strip club. It's got you Does know it have the karate. Yeah, I saw the karate. It's got the karate. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the fight choreography is is good, if a little bit pedestrian at times, you know. What do you mean when you say pedestrian? Um, they they don't go too far out of the way to give you the wow moments. Oh, okay. But what they do show you is, you know, reasonably realistic stuff. Right. So that's that's good. Mm. Um but you know, there's no wire work. There's no no fancy backflip kicks well, or no, anything I, like that in it. I think I think the reasoning is to me a little bit obvious. One of your main stars is Jason Yee, who is uh, you know uh, kind of Song Lei ilk and whatnot. Uh, I actually met the cat a few years back at a tournament, um, just hanging out, uh, you know, over there watching and and was talking to Sean Liu and whatnot. But um, MMA. I mean, you've got your main styles of MMA, and just in watching the preview, every move that I saw there, you're going to see kind of in an MMA thing. You had submission stuff, you know, grappling on the floor. You had Muay Thai all over the place, um, and really cool stuff. And a couple of things that I saw that even in Crazy Enough in Norton Shaolin, I would do. I mean, you know, that right. we do. Right. Um, so I, I don't think you're going to have a much wow uh, no, there. the the biggest wow fight scene in this movie is towards the end, and I think they were stealing from Old Boy, oh. that movie Old Boy on this one. Yeah, the psycho action. Have thriller. you seen Old Boy? Yes, I okay. have. I, I recommend that movie to everybody. There's, it's not a martial arts movie, really. It but messes with you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a head fuck, that's for sure. But uh, there is a scene in there where the guy's escaping from his room, mm -hmm. and he goes down that hallway with a hammer. Mm -hmm. Or no, he's not. I think he's trying to go back there or something. Anyway, he's. I I forget exactly how it went down, but there's a there's a pretty famous uh, fight in this hallway. It's like, you know, fifty to one mm -hmm. in a hallway, and he has a hammer, mm -hmm. and it's all one take. Yeah, and they do a sort of a similar thing with a bunch of guards when he's going for the big revenge at the end. Right, 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 right. right. Where there is a pretty well put together all one take fight scene. You know, mm -hmm. it goes up and down with a good you know couple dozen guards mixed into it in a hallway. Right. And it sort of gives you that feel. Um, and, you know, he's appropriately appropriately beat to piss afterwards. So <laughs> yeah. that's, you know. <laughs> and that's putting it lightly, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I give it a recommend. It's not one of my favorites of all time or anything, but for the new stuff that's coming out right now, you could do a lot worse. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there are a lot of good things. Well, good. They sound good just because they're 
action movies coming out or martial arts flicks coming out. But uh, I'm happy to uh, have seen this preview and that you picked this one because it honestly is one. Because not just the art, but rather the the uh, the font they use is kind of like 1960s, uh, you know, House on Haunted Hill, droopy lettering type thing and i'm yeah, like oh pulp. hell no yeah but it, you know it was because of that that i didn't even read about it you know if i would have seen the fact that jason yee's in here and, and that it's a modern show and whatnot yeah. i probably would have taken a second look and it's you know it's got a sort of a it's a sort of a down noir feel throughout the whole thing but they they do a good job of spicing it up with a little humor here and there like that last bit in the trailer you right know, uh I don't have a boy. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's got enough of that kind of stuff. And uh, keep your eyes peeled. James Liu makes a cameo in this and has nice. a few speaking lines. And, uh, you know, not a whole lot of fighting, but he's he's getting old. Yeah. Well, he looks a lot different, man. He used to be like that super cool dude with the long mm-hmm. hair, you know, and the, the super high kicks and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I sound like some of your old. I was describing myself yourself. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he's balding, and uh, you know, but he's still a badass. There you go. So it's good to see him. He's still working. So the still a badass part is that still describing you? Uh, yeah. Okay. You want me to show you? Nah, that's don't make right. me come over there, Craig. Well, you're already over here, dude. I'm needing some space. <laughs> <laughs> a little too close for comfort. All right. So. Um, yeah, that's it for uh, the girl from the Naked Eye. Hopefully, uh, we'll be getting a lot more media mop-ups in here to you soon. I think so. We're also probably going to have a lot of uh, mailbag uh, whatnot oh, coming yeah. up. There's yep. been a lot of interaction. We definitely thank you guys, man. So um, we're we've got a lot of a lot of people looking to come on the show too mm-hmm. uh, to talk with us, and so we're working all that out now, trying yeah. to do s- some scheduling. And uh, so uh, I think uh, we're. Our next episode will probably be uh, a catch-up episode with a discussion topic and some mailbags and some news and all that stuff. And we're going to try to stay on schedule or as close to it as possible through the holidays. Uh, you should have this one. Well, this is not news in any shape or form because it'll be there. It won't. But yeah. we're going to shoot to get this one out before Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be recording again right after Thanksgiving. So, yeah, um, yeah you shouldn't have to go too long without your high yas. Definitely. And I mean, and people really shouldn't have to go too long because that's that really sucks. I know I, you know, I miss a good high yah from time to time. I know. Sometimes I, I get the feeling that you're just hurting for one and I call you on the phone and I say, hi, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, hi, Dave. And then we hang up and that's about enough. Yeah, well, shoot, we're keeping this one short tonight. We don't really, uh, we don't want to beat it to death. Consider this your close range combat (laughs) episode. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, oh, well, we will tell one little funny story before we sign off. You know, we we already tried to record this episode once. Oh, shit. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we do need to re broach that topic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we had a discussion topic and all sorts of other stuff, and uh, we were just extremely busy, and the only chance we had to record was after a long, quote-unquote, business meeting. And, uh, you know, we often uh, have a few beers during the podcast and get a little loopy by the end. Well, we were loopy by the beginning. We were loopy when we started. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, that one's in the vault. Uh, Yes, it is. Yes, it (laughs) is. Never going to poke its head out again. Um, but, uh, you know, so sorry you had a little bit of an extra long wait on this one. We'll try to do better next time, I swear. There you go. All right. Well, thanks once again to our guest, John Rankin. Thank you, John. That was great. And, uh, keep your eyes peeled for what's coming down the pipe. Definitely. And I think, uh, I think we may even, uh, get John back out here one day when we, uh, have a little bit more, uh, belt under our belly to, uh, (laughs) Ask more intelligent questions, you know, yeah. um, but he was giving us kind of the 101 on on this, which is great. Yeah. Much appreciated. We should probably wait till we get our black belts, though. Ah. <laughs> Just tagging back on yeah. that one. That's funny. That's a callback. We've had that discussion before on this show many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all right, folks, Greg, why don't you tell them where they can reach us if they so desire? www.highpodcast.com. Uh, you might want to throw a third W on the end of those Ws <laughs> while you're at it. Another method is to go to the Facebook.com slash something another. But just look up High Up Podcast in your little search bar up there yep. on Facebook. Um, or just do it in your Google search box, and you'll find uh, all sorts of things. 
um, something that's not up currently, but uh, I was going to talk to you, Dave, about it, and, and we might be having a Twitter presence at some point, oh, yeah. um, and even a, a, a kind of a Google Plus account as well. Um, so that way, if you know you're not into Facebook and you're into the Google, you'll find us there too. Yep. Yeah, folks, you can find us pretty much anywhere just by putting in hi-ya with two A's. There you go. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. We love those. Definitely. If you want to get us something for Christmas, that's it right there. There you go. Ratings and there reviews on iTunes. All right, folks. Well, uh, that's it for episode 24. 25 coming up next. Hootie who. So, see ya. Nine years old.